And you are driving the car. Yes. All right. What kind of a car are you driving? You drive. <laughs> All I can say is somebody better be driving, brother. Ron and Anian. Yeah, I got a water leak in my uh, Tahoe here. Leaking into the cab area over by the, um, the passenger's seat. The Car Doctor. Has anybody taken off the passenger side front door panel recently? Has anybody done any work in there? Because there, there's a water there's a water barrier seal there. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, start your engines and welcome aboard. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Ready to rock and roll and fix some cars this afternoon as we take this radio show out once again out on the airways and give it a road test. Spin around the block, please, sir, and let's uh, see what kind of acceleration it's got. More information about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com, all sorts of places to uh, podcast. There's information available there as well. And um, you can find that at, uh, like I said, cardoctorshow.com. I'm uh, looking out at the smiling faces of my board up, Tony. Once again, big smile, Tony. Big smile. So Tony's not thinking about football, which we're not going to talk about today. Um, no football no football comments today, folks. Whatever you do, no football comments. And uh, smiling Tom Ray, who's out there, and um, he's happy because um, – He's got to look at Tony. He's got his back to him. So 855-560-9900. Let's kick the garage doors open. Let's go over and talk to Bob, Phillipsburg, New Jersey, 2008. Audi. And some questions about a battery. Robert, how are you today this afternoon, sir? What's going on? Yes. Mr. Oh. Ron, I yes, got sir. the best of two worlds between oh. this Audi and my 1965 Volkswagen Beetle. God bless you, you sir. You want to talk about, uh, you know, oddities. Oh. But anyway, uh, the battery uh, went dead, uh, just, you know, cold weather and everything, and I don't believe in jump starts and everything. And I finally located the battery. It's under. It's in the back underneath the hatch by the spare tire. Yep. And when I replaced the battery, I'm uh, kind of leery. I don't want to set any kind of alarms and this and that and everything else. What will I expect well, after I put a new battery, you know, disconnect it and put a new battery in? Battery's already dead, right, right, Bob? I mean, the car's dead, it won't start, and the battery's dead at this yeah, point? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I've. I've replaced thousands of batteries over my in the years. So yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean, I, I, I get that, but the battery on the car is already dead. So you're, you're, you know, you're. The damage is kind of done. Is my point. If the car is sitting there right. with a stone dead battery, you're, you're sort of in the spot. Um, mm-hmm. How would I prefer to do it? I would prefer that you know, given the opportunity, we could hook up an OBD two to the OBD two connector. We could hook up a memory saver. And, you know, try and retain some of the vehicle's personality or electrical settings, you know, the onboard uh, computer and transshift points and things like that. But at, at this stage, put a battery in it. Let's see what happens. I don't, now, think, I don't think anything will. I think it'll be fine. You know, you'll, uh-huh. you'll, I, I, think, I think the worst case scenario will be, obviously, you'll, you'll most likely you will have lost by now the radio. And you'll have to go through a, um, if it's a security-enabled radio, which it likely is, it's an Audi A3, yeah. you're going to have to, you know, enter the code. And uh-huh. you know, the worst case beyond that is you may end up with a higher than normal idle. The throttle body may be a bit confused, and you may have to clean yeah. it, service it, and then do a throttle relearn. 
and you'll have to drive it and reteach the engine how to operate. But I don't think it's going to be all that bad. Not a 2008. Well, this, that's not is, so new. Is this like rebooting a computer? Is this a good thing to do once in a while? You know, disconnect um, the battery and uh, you um, know, put everything back to factory specs and... Mm, uh, you know, Bob, it's a good question. I've never really thought of it like that as far as a factory reboot. I think the problem becomes that, you know, if at 100,000 miles they said reboot the computer, you know, yeah. reboot the computer and clean the car, so to speak, electrically, you know, you're going right. to be you're going to be sit there faced with what sort of characteristics does the vehicle have to relearn? Because it took 100,000 miles for it to learn what it is in terms of operating. For those of you that may not understand, it's the conversation here is about every car has a unique personality trait. If if I jumped in it and drove it, and then Tony jumped in it and drove it, and then Tom jumped in it and drove it, and then Bob jumped in it and drove it, the car has the ability to adjust itself over the long haul for the different characteristics, and you know everybody drives a car differently. And yeah. rebooting it for that, I don't know. I think I, I think personally, I wouldn't recommend it. I think it's going to create issues, and sometimes uh-huh. it takes a little longer for it to for it to learn its characteristics and operating strategies. Um, but listen, yeah. Bob, if, if it makes you feel better, I'll tell you it's a good idea. But either way, you're still going to have to go out there, open the trunk, and put a battery in the car. Yeah, kind of yeah. doesn't kind of doesn't matter. Um, and Audi uh, also recommends, uh, regardless of what, replace the battery every four years. Right, I would agree with that. Now, wonder what now, yeah. and and I, and I, you know, it's it's interesting, and I they're probably doing so based on that in a controlled environment. Uh, you know, uh, recommended battery changes. You're doing it under a controlled environment for to avoid the problems of, like I talked about, throttle body issues, higher than normal idle operating characteristic yeah. faults and things like that. So you may uh-huh. have, you may have to do a little bit of coaching here, Robert, when you get this battery in the car and hooked back up. Uh, yeah, know, because you've 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 kind of lost um, that planned out operation, that planned out. Um, ability, you know, it's now you're doing it at the car's beck and call instead of yours. Yeah, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, but uh, so more or less, get out there, pedal to the metal, and have some fun. No, just go out there and well, drive it like drive it like Bob drives it. Once I start it, I would clearly start it and let it run. I'd, I'd let that car idle for anywhere from five to six, maybe as long as eight minutes. Let it kind of get on its own, and then. I'd, I'd turn on the air conditioning and the heat and let it see some electrical load, and then I'd, you know, uh-huh. then I then I'd maybe sit there for two minutes in gear. Um, this this uh-huh. is an automatic, isn't it, Bob? It's a uh, DSG, you know, the dual clutch. Okay, so then I would start teaching it, you know, the transmission positions, and then I would take it out and drive the car. And drink a cup of coffee while I'm doing this. Listen to the radio a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, you know, and uh, or listen to one of your podcasts. Listen to one of the podcasts and 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 see what goes down. But you, you know, just, for your own information, I uh, listen to all your, a lot of podcasts. Uh, I just recently went down by myself down to uh, North Carolina, back and forth, back, all the way down and all the way back. I was listening to all your podcasts, nothing else. Boy, I tell you what, there's a loyal listener, right? Somebody driving all the way to North Carolina to get all Car Doctor all the time. So if we had a long distance award, maybe we should have a long distance contest. See who can listen to the Car Doctor the longest. Nah, that's probably uh, here we go. I, I know who's going to win this, right? Tom's going to say him and Tony. Um, you, no, you, we're just wondering, uh, you know, where they have the best psychiatrists because after they listen to you for all that what length of time. Well, they would probably have to find some place where there's no cliffs, you know, off the edge. 
How does Sue feel about this? Uh, I'm sure she feels fine. Listen, be How nice. How many years? Be, be, uh, I don't know, 1981, 36? My condolences. Yeah, so, listen, be, be nice, or I'm going to talk about the screen door offensive You already line. talked about the Giants in, in, no, in, in, I, in the opening monologue. I, I didn't say the Giants. Can I but, say goodbye to Bob first, by the way? Okay. Yeah, by the way. Say, say goodbye, Bob. Bob, I got to go. I got to go pick on Tony a little while. I appreciate the call. Have fun driving your Audi. I didn't do an opening monologue. I didn't say a single word about the Giants today. Did I? But now you are. Well, no, you brought it up. But you know, you you were you were insinuating earlier, folks. I want to let you know that Tony, my board operator, is is in mourning over his football season, and I'm sorry to bring this to the airwaves, but you know it's so we're going to be nice to Tony today and try and treat him with a little kid gloves, and we don't let him, we don't want him to get upset, and um, you know, because as it is, by tomorrow the Giants will be one and nine, and then they'll be one and ten, and then one and eleven. By the time Dallas rolls in. So, but uh, hey, let's go for the number one draft pick. Like I said to you at the beginning of the show, Tone, you know who you know who's got it easy this week? The Jets, because they're not playing. So the, the Giants are really under the thumb. Anyway, 855-560-9900. I'm running in the car doctor. Let's pull over and take a pause. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Running in the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Let's go over and talk to Matt in Columbus, Ohio. And some problems with the 90F250. Matthew, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron. Thanks for taking my call. Love the show. I've been listening to it for a while. Thank you, sir. What's going on? Yeah, uh, 90F250, a 5.8 liter. Um, I, I really bought it as a donor truck to put the five-speed transmission in, in my Bronco. But anyway, as far as the engine goes, it's leaking oil really bad. And, uh, and the oil light is, after it warms up, the oil light, comes on so it says low oil pressure okay and so from what i understand that's that's more of a dummy light than anything yeah so i actually took yeah. a mechanical gauge okay good and good and i started out around 35 psi oil pressure from when it's cold and it dropped down to probably around 5 psi after about 10 minutes of it idling mm, that's um, not, and that's, that's not good yeah yeah my, my question is I, my question is um yeah, it sounds. From what I understand, from what I've researched, it sounds like it's probably worn bearings and it's probably hit pretty bad and it needs rebuilt. But yeah. is is there any chance? I remember you mentioning uh, it, uh, like the, the Defcon Five, you know, run brake fluid and uh, put some brake fluid, a quart of it, in the crankcase and run it for a while and see if it clears it out. But I no. don't. I don't think it's going to do anything. But watch this. It sure isn't going to hurt. Uh, five six psi at idle on, on a hot engine. It's probably worn main bearings in the crank, and it's just you know. And, and internal engine clearances have more effect on engine oil pressure than anything. Uh, there is. I'm trying to remember in '90, and maybe I'm thinking of the diesel. But there was a, if the vehicle had an oil cooler, there was a check valve in the oil cooler that sometimes stuck and allowed oil to go into bypass mode and it would affect oil pressure but maybe that's not the 58 maybe that was the bigger gas or the diesel version uh, back then yeah, but I would I would I would just stop to research that possibility is there an internal check valve but you know before I scrapped it or got really crazy my next step would be and it's a little bit of a backbreaker once I got past brake fluid and that doesn't work uh, my next step would be I'd pull the pan down and I know it's a big job you know, but if you have any hope of of, of salvaging it, um, I would either I would either pull the pan off with the engine in the vehicle or yank the engine with the idea that 
you know, if the engine's no good and you're not going to replace it, junk the vehicle, or if the engine's, you know what I mean? It's time to start making yeah. some decisions. You're, you're, you're kind of headed for the old age home. You know, you're going there. We all know we're going to yeah. get there. You just got to decide how you want to take the trip. Uh, you know, this is right. because this is probably going to be internal engine wear. About the only other thing I can think of is a partially restricted oil screen on the pickup, and that's possible. Uh, brake fluid might make a difference there, a, a real heavy, you know, desludging agent like that. But, uh, you know, how many miles are on this? I mean, I don't want to judge this by mileage. I'd rather be more mechanical and scientific, but I'm betting it's got a couple hundred thousand on it. If the engine, if it is original, then it has about probably 240,000 miles on it. Yeah. You know, so as you said, it's a donor vehicle. You know, if yeah. it needed an engine, would you put an engine in it, Matt? Uh, no, I wouldn't. Be, I would not pay for a rebuild engine or probably even a crate engine. The, the biggest thing is I'm getting all the parts to swap over directly to a similar year Bronco. Right. That's the the main thing. Right. So then maybe what you do is, uh, you know, is it is the Bronco a five eight also? Yes. So maybe what you do is maybe you pull the engine. All right. So you don't scrap it with the vehicle, and now you've got spare parts. At least then you can take it apart once you get it there. Because you're not going to keep the whole truck, right? If I understand this right, you wouldn't keep the whole truck anyway. But you just you're just trying to find out what's wrong with this engine and oil pressure wise before you before you scrap the vehicle. I guess is what you're doing, right? Yeah, pretty much. It's yeah. Good. So you know, at this point, um, either way, the oil pan's got to come off. In my opinion, is the next step. You might as well yank the motor. You can try brake fluid. That's probably not going to work. You know. Um, and it, it kind of doesn't matter because think about it at 240,000 miles let's say let's say god forbid the, the 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 motor in the bronco blew up in 2 weeks you wouldn't take the I would, even even if the F250 had good oil pressure would you take the oil out of would you take the engine out of that and put it in the bronco regardless you'd still do a rebuild right I would you know what I would do Ron I'd probably drop a like a 73 diesel in the thing if that happened right so you know then then what are you going to do with the five eight? Even even if you fix the oil pressure, what would you do with it? Sell it at that point? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it, it costs too much. Yeah, I mean, probably sell the sell the whole truck as a whole. See, with, uh, you got more mechanical curiosity. That's what's that's what's bugging you. This is all about this is all about what's wrong with the engine, not what can you do with it, right? Yeah, that's probably more it, really. Yeah. Um, so that's that's where I would take this. I would, you know, you can try brake fluid. I don't think it'll do anything. Uh, you know, and then if you want to go ahead and pull the oil pan down, but pulling the oil pan in that truck, it's a four wheel drive, I imagine. Yeah. Pulling the oil pan in that truck is a little bit of a chore. You know, it's, it's, it's more than a chore. It's, it's easier to yank the motor. It really would be, especially if you're taking the, the trans and the, uh, you know, the bell housing off the back of it, you might as well, and just take it apart once you get it on the ground. You never know. Listen, somebody may give you money for it. I mean, a five, eight, I, you know, there's there's always a demand for everything. Everybody's always looking for something at one time or another, and I'm finding older engines and older parts are getting harder and harder to find. They really are. So, you know, it, it, it might have some value. It might have some value in the truck. You, you don't know. Somebody else may buy that donor vehicle as pieces, and, you know, here it is minus the trans. Take it away. Um, you know, you never know what you're going to get for things today because I'm seeing the prices of some parts skyrocket because – they're just getting harder to come across, and the pieces that you do come across are just junk in, in some cases, some of the repro pieces. So, you know, think carefully how you want to spend the nickel. Just maybe you want to research what's a 5.890 F250, you know, V8 engine worth at this point in the game.
Yeah. So just 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 my perspective, just my way of looking at it. But yeah, you clearly, if you've got five six psi at idle on a hot engine, you've clearly got an engine issue of something going on. So that's kind of what I figured. Yeah. yeah. All right. Like I said, likely main bearings on the crank. Possibly the oil the oil screen on the pump is clogged, and I've seen that quite often too. But in 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 either case. Um, you know, you're going to, have to take something apart to some level. Either the pan comes off, the pump comes out, uh, or you've got um, you've got worn bearings. And very very unlikely possibility. Like I said, I'd have to do some research, but I thought there was a check valve by the oil filter adapter. Um, but I could be thinking of the bigger engine, the seven. What was what was the one up from a five eight? There was something bigger. Um, the four sixty. Yeah. Seven point five liter. Yeah. Um, maybe that's what I'm thinking of, and it might have involved the oil cooler. I mean, ninety was a couple of years ago. So, but um, uh, just just things to look at. All right, sir. All right, thanks, Ron. I appreciate you're, it. You're very welcome. You take good care, Matt. And thanks, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for podcasting us. Thanks for tuning us in. Um, yeah, that's you know, gee whiz, that's a ninety F two fifty with a five eight. Hmm. Hey, when the car doctor returns. So this week, I had the extreme pleasure of putting a timing belt in a Volkswagen. Oh boy! And I thought we'd talk about it a little bit because. There's some things I want to point out, and it might be an historic conversation because I've actually got a couple of nice things to say about Volkswagen. Uh, not too many, just a few. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to break the bank, but you know, just be mindful that. Um, well, we'll talk about it when I come back. And it was an '04 Jetta GLS, and I want to have some comments about their use of plastic. I want to have some comments about um, the multitude of fasteners that Volkswagen seems to use. Uh, they seem to take a great deal of pride in, you know, just everything is held on with 14 screws. They make it so it takes forever to get anything apart. And I don't know. It's a Volkswagen. I, It's, you know, it's an interesting. It was an interesting event. Um, hadn't done one in a while, and it refreshed my memory. And I said, you know, overall a good solid engine, but, uh, well, you got to come back to hear the rest. 855-560-9900. Answer your car questions. I'm Ron and the Car Doctor. Coming back right after this. Don't go away. Doctor rolling along at 855-560-9900. I should point out that phone number is 24-7 and toll-free, so give us a call. Leave a message if we're not on the air. We exist here on the radio airwaves Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. But that 855-560-9900 phone number will carry you into a voice messaging system that uh, Tom Ray, our executive producer, will Put you in the queue and uh, bring you back to um, bring you back to us the following week so we can talk to you up here live on radio. Um, that's what eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero is all about. Had the pleasure. Oh my gosh, did I say that? Of an O four Volkswagen Jetta. Now, in all fairness to Volkswagen, I, 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 here's an O four. So this car is twelve years old, an East Coast car, and it didn't have a drop of rust on it anywhere. Of course, it had enough oil leaks that it was probably rust-proof from now through the end of, um, let's see, it probably would have gone through 2022 if it didn't run out of oil, but it kept it from rusting. But maybe that's their secret. But it, it really wasn't built badly. Had to do a timing belt on this car. And the rationale behind the timing belt was it had some coolant leaks, one of which was the water pump. To do the time, water pump, you got to take the timing belt out at 102,000 miles. That's the time to do it. It had four coolant leaks. 
one from the water pump, one from the flange housing over on the driver's side of the cylinder head, one from the elbow coming off the bottom of the expansion tank, and the fourth one was from a plastic elbow in one of the coolant hoses. And, you know, that was the frustration of the job. It, it seems that Volkswagen just uses or decides to use such a heavy amount of plastic. I've done more than a few Tommy belts on a, on a pretty good variety of cars. But every time I come back to a V-Dub, I always stop and look at how it's put together. And the amount of things I have to unclip, move, modify, change, shape, get out of the way in order to get to the belt. In this particular case, okay, the upper cover comes off, the expansion tank comes out. We took the expansion tank out. We were, um, we, we, we've seen guys try to work around it, which seems silly to me, but we, we take the expansion tank out. It's not that hard to do. It's, it's, it's a couple of Phillips screws and out the door. I'm sorry, torque screws. Um, gee, was that a, was that a, was that a, a slip? I, I really wish Volkswagen used Phillips screws, but they don't seem to understand what a Phillips screw is for, um, which is the other part of this conversation. Torques, inverted torques, um, metric, uh, you know, straight slot, uh, little plastic tabs. Everything is plastic. If it's not metal, it's plastic, as stupid as that sounds, but it seems like they favor plastic more than anything else. And everything you touch now that it's 100,000 plus miles old and 10, 12 years old has got that brittle plastic, like, you know, maybe Volkswagen follows the theory of if you can't get it apart, pull harder until you hear a snapper, it comes loose. It's one or the other. And I was really surprised to see how much more plastic they've, they even had in 2004. But here's the tip I wanted to pass on to you. So once you get it down to the point where you get the timing belt off, you can't remove the lower engine mount support bracket because, well, it's just the timing belt roller. There's a roller or what I'll call an idler pulley and then the tensioner assembly in the way. You've actually got to take the roller out, then take the motor mount bracket out, then take the tensioner out. And I have a problem with that, if anybody from Volkswagen is listening, because you're 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 making it that much more difficult uh, to, to do the disassembly. And, uh, you know, we sat there and looked at it and said, why would they do it like this? There was no other way. Everything is layered upon everything else. And I imagine if I were a Volkswagen tech, and that's all I did all day long, I'd have the job down cold. But this is what I mean when I start to talk about proprietary or self-exclusive repair procedures. Volkswagen has created something that is very unique unto themselves, and until you start to do a half a dozen or two dozen or you get very good at it, and then they'll change something. And it makes it a very difficult car to work on. So I guess the point of this conversation I'm trying to have with you today is if you want to understand why some car lines are more expensive to repair than others, you've got to understand the repair process. You've also got to understand how the manufacturer is assembling that car and what components they're using to meet their their budget requirement. Although I think, I suspect in a lot of cases, it's also about the mileage per gallon, the MPGs. And I'm sure plastic figures into the use on Volkswagen because they want to hit a certain MPG. One of the things that was really disappointing and also not a surprise is the shielding. Everything on this Volkswagen is wrapped in plastic. 
everything. The lower belly pan, the side skirt, the lower radiator cover, and they're all interconnected into themselves. As a matter of fact, I have to admit, taking it apart, there was one belly pan that went up under the valance that goes under the radiator, and it took me a minute to, gee, I took this off from here, right? Like, I'm looking at it going, this doesn't look like it came from this car, but it says VW on it. It's got to have come from this car. And, of course, it had it had suffered, you know, 12 years of on the road and some road rash, and the, the cover was cracked and falling apart, and they don't make it easy. They really don't. However, the plus, I got to tell you, they make a heck of an engine. The metal parts on a Volkswagen held up really well, and I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. They did a great job. Um, once we got this car back together, once I assembled everything, topped it with coolant, burped it, changed the hoses that were leaking, the, the, the flange on the driver's side of the head that was leaking, car ran well, it, it burped coolant well, it did what it was supposed to do. Would I tell you to buy one? I think one of the reasons I don't list VW in my buy category is primarily because of the expense of doing a repair like this. All said and done, this was close to two grand. By the time we did timing belt, water pump, coolant flange, a couple of hoses, a regular belt, uh, probably $200 worth of general service. So, you know, you've got to have the stomach for it. You know, to put two grand in a 12-year-old car, not many people would do it. This particular owner, he understood it. He said, hey, Ron, I'm going to put I'm gonna put two grand in this. He goes, I haven't put a lot of money in the car in the last couple of years, and it's cheaper than buying a new one. And I applaud Eric for that. He, he, he really understood that. But it's not for everybody. And that's what, maybe, that's what makes me think that, you know what, I kid here about Volkswagen a lot, but at the root of it, it's a good car. It's just a little different to work on. And sometimes I think Volkswagen took a lesson from General Motors because GM back in the day, and still some to this point, to this moment in time, GM still does layered, what I call layered assembly, where one component depends upon another, depends upon another, and so on. Volkswagen took it to a new level with this VW, with this 1.8 turbo timing belt. And, uh, you know, it's just, wow. Um, Funny thing is I posted this conversation up on Facebook. I said note to self, and I wanted to talk about it on today's show. And it was interesting to see some of the re- see some of the responses that it generated. One fellow wrote, he said, yeah, w- German cars, and I'm paraphrasing here, German cars way over-engineered. They use eight bolts on, eight bolts to hold one thing on, and they're usually a grade eight, and they're, they're multiple size fastener heads, and they just make it way too complicated and difficult to work on than other cars. And I think that young man kind of sized it up and, and, and said it probably what, what's my sentiments exactly. I couldn't have echoed it much better than that. So uh, just be wary. Good car. Just know what you're buying and make sure the person working on it can work on it and has the ability to uh, get information and good quality parts, which is, that's a whole nother conversation. That was, you know, fortunately we have a source for Bosch and we were able to get some Bosch parts for it. And, you know, obviously Bosch with Volkswagen and Bosch Auto Parts, they make other parts for you know, other than Volkswagen, they do make all makes all models. They're going across all lines now, but you know, it's it's comforting to see Bosch components for that Volkswagen um, because that's what helps make it. You know, from the fatherland, right? Um, good German engineering, so good stuff. Um, but anyway, eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, coming back right after this. Oh, yeah. Wait, let's, let's, let's play for a second. 
You can just see Samuel Jackson walking, can't you? Ron and Andy in the car, Doctor. I was just watching that movie last night, Shaft. I just, I, I love that movie. I love the music. I love everything about it. You know, that that only got like a 7 rating, 7 out of 10 on, on, on the IMDb uh, website. And I couldn't believe that. I thought that was a really good movie. Probably because it was a remake. Yeah, but, but you know, it was, I thought it was, and then, help me out here, Tone. Shaft, excuse me a minute, folks. Shaft was never a TV show, was it? It was. It, it had two episodes, but it, it didn't last that long. But it, it started off as a movie. So Richard Roundtree created that role in the movies, and that's what kind of propelled him? Yes. You know the scene, excuse me again a minute. You know the scene when he walks into the bar to see Lawrence Taylor? Okay. There's a gentleman with white hair sitting down. Who is that? I just, the actor, what character did he play? That's Gordon Parks. And who's that? He's the he's the one he's the original director. He directed the original Shaft movie with Richard Roundtree. Oh, so they gave him a cameo in the movie. Yeah, he had a cameo. He, he looked like somebody famous. Yes. I just you know, people like us famous people kind of know what each other look like. So I just sort of you know that and uh, three bucks will get you through the tunnel uh, somewhere. Let's. Um, well, I was going to do an email, but you know what? I see Tom's got Eric from Louisiana on the phone. Eric, you're on with the car doctor, sir. What's going on? How can I help? Hey, Ron. Yes, sir. Let me take you off speaker here. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, give me a give me a good shot at this now. Help me out. Hey, Ron. Yes, sir. I'm here. Yeah. Go ahead. I had a question. Well, you remember I had that uh, in cabin air filter question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, you finally found he, it, right? He told me where. What a new mechanic found it with no problem. Okay. Uh, but I got a I got a question about that. What did, what did they do back in the seventies uh, and eighties when they didn't have one? The air was cleaner. I don't know. It's a good point. Oh, you know the you know. Okay, I was just well, and you know what I think. I was just pop- You know what I think. Part of it is Eric. Just- I think part of it is that you know seventies and eighties. I don't know if the technology was there, and I don't know if we worried about it. You know, part of what a cabin filter does it it purifies the air we breathe, but there's also a concern for contaminant to get on the AC evaporator and the heater core. All right. And I think a lot of cabin filter or the push for cabin filter technology came about in the mid-80s, early 80s. If you notice, a lot of Jeeps, for example, um, they noticed that there were problems with, you know, moisture sitting on the material that the evaporators were made out of, the the AC coils and stuff. Um, They would get moisture on them, and they would rot, and they would leak. And they found that cabin filters kept them cleaner and we're less likely to allow the system to leak, and so, you know, long-term down the road. Um, cabin filter is no different than the filter that's in the heating unit, AC unit in the house, and I think they've realized the benefits from it, and then they finally figured out how to put it into the car, and, uh, you know, it, it, it now becomes a, a consumable maintenance item. So um, did you have a second part to the question, Eric? Yeah, my 2008 Nissan Frontier. Right. I just got a question on uh, the uh, the horn. Okay. Um I know it's possible, but uh, I didn't want to sound Greek when I talked to the mechanic. Can you, like, wire an extra horn on it and and make it louder? Let me answer it this way. When I had my original 72 Monte Carlo way back when in, in in the days of college, I used to travel the New Jersey Garden State Parkway. Two horns on a Monte Carlo in morning rush hour traffic didn't make it. So I went and found another set of horns. I had four horns on the car. When I got up to the toll booth, this was before the days of Easy Pass. When I got up to the toll booth, if you cut me off, you knew it. 
So my concern was, the only thing I did was I measured the amp draw of what each horn would pull, and I made sure the circuit would 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 adequately support that. And in those days, it did. So in this case, uh, I would just tell you to have your mechanic just make sure the circuit will electrically be supported, that it, it's not going to put too much of a load on the circuit and, you know, cause any problems. But if you can measure it with amperage, you'll have no problem doing it. If not, I'll just have to figure out another way to wire in an additional power source for that horn. But absolutely, you know what? Sometimes the louder the better. Tell people to get out of the way. And I say that seriously because if people in Louisiana drive anything like people in New Jersey, Sometimes I'm thinking uh, I'm thinking of inventing the clown car, you know, that, that, that boxing glove that comes out the side mirror when you're driving along, because some people need to wake up the way they're driving today. It's, um, it's really amazing. Eric, appreciated the call, and uh, good luck to you and yours down there, Louisiana Way. I'm Ron Annie, The Car Doctor. I'm coming back right after this. I'm on a highway to hell. Hey, hey, Ron Annie, The Car Doctor. We're uh, back, and uh, we dedicate that to Malcolm Young. Um, rest in peace, brother. Uh, thanks for all that you did. Uh, quick piece of email. Hey, Ron, it's time for my Camaro's vacation. I have a quick jack that will lift it off the ground at the factory jack points. Should I leave the car, one, totally off the ground, two, with jack stands at the corners, just leaving the tires free, or three, on the ground with overinflated tires? It will be in a garage under the house that is dry and heated. The tank is full with stable and the battery tender attached. Thanks for the show's podcast. It's great for guys who work on Saturdays. This comes to us from FixItAll23. It's an email. Um I like leaving it on the ground. It's only going to be three, four months. It's going to be, I like the idea of on the ground, overinflated tires, maybe lift it up in a month and uh, move the tires around to a different spot if you want to do that. I personally like the idea of starting them once a month. You know, Black's in her winter hibernation right now. She's sitting in a heated garage, and um, I don't even go as far as filling the gas tank. I'm not worried about it in that point because I'm actually going to try and sneak it out somewhere around uh, usually mid-December. We'll get a break of, uh, you know, dry weather and um, sort of mildly cold but not super cold. Take it out for a blast around the block once and then put it away. And then January, February, March, um, same thing. I'll run it once a month and, um, you know, not have an issue. And it's a very dry garage, so I don't have rust inside the tank problems. But I like leaving them sitting on the ground. I don't want to leave the suspension in the extended position. Plus, it puts undue strain on the body over time. Uh, you know, that's how some of these cars will develop cracks in the body at various points, the A pillar, the B pillar. And I don't think it's good for them. Even though they're supported on a frame, all that the effects of gravity over time does have an effect on it. So I'd rather let the car sit on the ground than just plant or run it. Um, obviously, fluid levels are important. Yes, the battery tender is a great idea. Uh, heat is probably the most important just to keep it at an even temperature. And um, it wouldn't hurt to go out there once in a while and kick it around and uh, start it. But, yeah, all good stuff. Leave it on the ground. I vote for leaving it on the ground so it's in a uh, natural position. And just uh, you never know. You may get a break in the middle of winter where you can actually drive it and uh, let it do its thing. So that's it for now. I'm Ron Annie, the car doctor, looking up, saying it's time to go. Till the next time, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.